Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey there. I hope you're still enjoying summer. When I was young, summer went through Labor Day. That doesn't happen anymore, and honestly, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Um... Swim season has wrapped up here. I'm wrapping up production on my sort of documentary film about the local swim community and the culture here. But in this episode, getting back to the topic at hand, a little hybrid. So sometimes we do career talks and sometimes we do marketing talks on this podcast. Today's a little bit of both. We're going to talk to Maria Ganai, the host of the Pros and Comms podcast and her own content agency in the UK about her scientific career and how she transitioned into marketing, which I think is an interesting story. If you're a marketer, you may recognize something like this. If you are not yet a science marketer, you might learn something. And she has a lot of good things to say about um, how she does things, which I think is interesting and opportunities that every marketer might get an idea from. So with that, Let's jump into my conversation with Maria Ganai. My guest today is Maria Ganai. She's the founder of Maubi Content Creation, the host of the Pros and Comms podcast, best podcast name ever, and the YouTube channel, Have You Ever Wondered, which is a little bit, a lot of what we're going to talk about today. So, Maria, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about your background. So you're a scientist by training, as many of us are. Tell us what got you into science. Yeah, I've always been, I guess, like most people, when they say, oh, how'd you get into science? They were like, I I loved asking questions. I was really curious. That's the same for me. I was just a really curious person growing up. And I was lucky to have a mother who had done science as well at university. So we were always surrounded by science. And we always went to the Science Museum, which is like the best museum in the world, Science Museum in London. And we'd always do like different things. So I was always around science and I was lucky to be quite good at it at school as well. It came more knack to me than like history or geography. So I enjoyed it. I was, yeah, really curious. So I went through school and then, yeah, when I got to choosing what I wanted to do for a degree, it seemed like a a good and natural choice and something I was really interested in. I had, I would say, pretty much a similar experience. My parents weren't scientists at all. My mom was... Um, very curious person. She was into learning about anything. And I made the decision the same way. Like when I got, I just knew I liked science when I left high school. So I majored in biology in college. And then at that point, I couldn't think of anything else to do but go to graduate school. There were, I didn't see a lot of different opportunities. Biotech was just starting. And I thought, well, I should get another degree to be even more ready. And I didn't really think about it which, of course, maybe was or was not the right decision. It's how I ended up being a podcaster. So we could tell us a little bit about what kind of science you did while you were at university and, and beyond. 
Yeah, so I, so the original track, so when I was deciding what to do at university, I was actually split between or media, which kind of now looking back at my career, that makes sense. But I was a very creative individual and my view on creativity is that you have like the typical creative output producers, the artists, the musicians, the poets. But also in science you need to be really creative if you're going to investigate things, ask questions, find new ways to do things. So I always like to say that I, I'm both a creative thinker and a, and a creative producer. So yeah, I went into science, biomedical science at the, the University of Kent which is where I'm from in the southeast of England, with the view of going into medicine, because I didn't quite get into medicine the first time, so I thought I'll do biomed and get into medicine. And then halfway through my university course, I was trying to donate blood and I fainted. So that put a stop to the medicine <laughs> idea. It was when I was lying on the cold tarmac just outside a mobile blood donation clinic that I thought this probably isn't the right career choice for me. So like you, I got to the end of my biomed degree and I thought, what do I want to do? I quite like science. I found this really interesting PhD project and got into that on the condition that I got the grades to get in, which I did. And so I went to Loughborough University, which is in the middle of England, and I did a project on developing a bioartificial kidney device for drug development. So I was working with AstraZeneca as a sponsor and working across a sort of spectrum of areas to develop this device so it was very multifaceted which is getting more popular now when we're seeing lots of different things converge obviously there's needs to look into specific things really detailed things but there's a lot more sort of multidisciplinary projects now so that was really exciting for me because obviously I was like wow I get to know about all these different things so then I Got to the end of that and I was like, okay, I'm going to stay in academia for a bit. I quite like it. I'm quite interested in this area. So I did a postdoc looking at bioartificial liver devices. So still very in the bioengineering field. That was a short postdoc, so I got to the end of that. And then I got offered a place at Edinburgh University to do a postdoc, also in bioartificial um device realm. But we were making implantable 3D liver organoids, so I was on the... Um, engineering side of that a multi-center project so I was 3d printing the little devices that we were going to house the liver organoids in and doing like the membrane stuff but I got to the end of that contract and I'd been thinking for a while now again because I'm a curious person I was like academia is all I've ever known and I've quite enjoyed it but I don't know anything else and I want to know what else is out there the end of my contract seemed a really natural break for me to decide what I wanted to do and I couldn't decide straight away so I thought oh I'll do an internship at the Science Media Centre to see if I you know also quite like communication maybe that that'll interest me and that was really interesting and I thought you know I still need some more time I'm just gonna have a career break so I went off traveling for five months around the world to take a break and then I came back and I thought oh, I'll take a sales and marketing role because I'd seen that and I thought yeah I got try that let's have a go at that I quite like communication and it's all about that so still in science so I went to a, a CRO in um, Glasgow did that for a while and then I actually ended up from going all the way up to Scotland I actually came back down <laughs> to London and got a job in a technology transfer office for a medical school in London did that and got to learn all about 
the legal side, contracts, patents, that sort of thing, which again was really interesting, but I'd been able to bring my experience from my previous job. So I, you know, was able to set up their social media channels and try and build the enterprise team brand. So that was like really exciting getting to learn all those different things. And then the pandemic hit and I left that job and I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I decided to just start a company in the middle of a global pandemic. And that's where my company Malby started. <laughs> you had motivation to leave the lab besides just leaving the lab. You were curious about other things and um, and so on. And then, yeah, it made a little bit of a transition. We've lived parallel lives. I left the lab, went traveling, <laughs> came back, got a job in marketing eventually after doing it actually something completely outside of science for a while. I think we've talked about that. I was fortunate enough to be a guest on your podcast back in January, I think. so. And then somewhere in there between starting Malby or maybe after, I think this was before, right? Your YouTube channel, because obviously you were still at the university and created a YouTube channel. Have you ever wondered? So tell us I about did. that. Yeah. So, um, Again, I, I guess like when I said oh, it was funny looking back on my career that I was at those crossroads thinking about doing media and science and one of the reasons that I went for science is obviously because I enjoyed it but also my mum came up to me and went well you probably got better job prospects in science than media really if we're looking at it but I always loved that so I right from leaving school I was always you know making little videos or doing little drawing little things and I kept that up as a hobby and then I was at, what was I? I think I'd just finished my PhD or I was like a little bit into my postdoc. And I actually really clearly remember how this came to be, but I was just like vacuuming the conservatory and I was just thinking about things and I was like, oh, I wonder what, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember what I actually wanted. But I was like, I wonder what. And I was like, oh, I wonder if other people think about this too. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool to see if other people think about this too? Wouldn't it be cool to make videos? So I just decided to set up the YouTube channel called Have You Ever Wondered? Because I wondered something, which I can't remember what it was. So I set this up and it was really, I'd been doing sort of public engagement during my PhD. So I was a STEM ambassador, which is a program in England where people in science and they go and talk to schools and do different events and give their time to promote STEM in at that early age. So I've been doing that. I've been volunteering at like uh, science fairs and different things. So I thought, oh, this will be a great sort of way to communicate my love of science for me to be able to make all the little videos that I love making and just yeah just try and interact with a, a general public and see what goes on there so I started it and I, I remember I was super nervous and my first video I can't remember what it's called I think it was like have you ever wondered how to become a scientist or something like that and I remember making it, I was super nervous and I couldn't be in the same room as people watching it when I was like showing it to my friends. I had to leave the room. And my friends were like, you're really bouncy. I remember them going, you're really bouncy. You're just like everywhere. I had all this nervous energy. But I did it and it went on YouTube. And I think this was 2015 or 16, 2016, I think. So yeah, I just made it and I thought, oh, this is, I'm just having so much fun doing all these different things and... I was like, I'll do like educational shorts. So that was like the main focus of the channel initially was these sort of like, people would ask questions in the comments and then I'd make a video about it. And then I thought, oh, I'll do some vlogs as well. Cause that's quite fun. And it ended up actually 
the vlog that I made, I think it was the first ever vlog I made, all of my videos have like maybe, or some of my videos have a few hundred views and that one got, I think it's 73,000 or something to date. So I was like, wow, people are really interested in <laughs> scientists and what goes on in the lab. So yeah, it was just a, it was just a way of, you know, it's just a hobby really. So I never went after the like YouTube goals of becoming an influencer or a YouTube creator. It was just a fun little pastime, which I had for a few years. And then as I progressed through my career, unfortunately, it's been a bit harder to keep posting videos. Yeah, it definitely takes some effort to make videos, not just to shoot them. Well, and if you're gonna make a good one, probably plan it out. And then going back to your first thing, it's just hard to put yourself on camera, period, <laughs> yeah. right? But you gotta get over that, just like anything else. Plan them, film them, and then edit them so that they're watchable. And, but it does take effort. But tell us what you learned about science communication or marketing or how are you using what you learned from your YouTube channel and what you do now? I think, yeah, the most not surprising thing, maybe a little bit surprising, was the fact that people are really interested in what goes on it, like behind the scenes. Because you think of when you see scientists in in movies and things, and we, I think we've been quite fortunate in the pandemic because science has really been put in the forefront of the mainstream consciousness. So you are getting a lot of resources now on like how vaccines are made and how viruses spread and mutate and that sort of thing. So we've got a lot of attention now on that. But you know, when you look at scientists in movies, they're either like crazy hermits who are just like so reckless with throwing things everywhere and something escapes from a lab or they just don't talk to anyone. They don't know how to talk to people. So I think with my vlog, I was really intent on saying, no, it can have because I take people into the lab but then we had I think we had a pub quiz that day so we would like a few of us from our lab would go and do a pub quiz at a, at a pub so I was like look we we can be actual people we are normal we have fun so that was the main thing of the uh <laughs> of the video and I think that got across or people were interested in anyway so yeah that and then obviously the things of being able to edit videos and obviously the more you do things the more you get better at it i'm a lot better now using different programs trying different things so the sort of technical aspects and and the the way of planning a video and thinking like storyboarding i don't really storyboard on paper but in my mind i'm like this is what i need to do to get this output and then yeah just being comfortable to talk to people which sounds a bit strange but i think if you can talk to a, like a blank piece of glass which is essentially a camera lens if you could talk to that and be able to be comfortable and portray some sort of emotion or what you want to get across then you're going to be fine talking to other people where you have like visual cues and things to bounce off so i think just being able to yeah talk to people get my message across and it's landed me in good stead i think for doing a podcast now and being able to talk to people on that so yeah, you were a fantastic interviewer on the podcast, but going back to the Thank video, <laughs> a, a couple things stood out to me. So first of all, there's the talking to the glass thing, which is as a career development challenge. That is hard to look at a camera and be engaging. One of the things I've done, I made some videos for LinkedIn last summer. And what I did is I have a camera with a flip out screen and I would talk to the screen. So two things, I could see what I was 
look, essentially looking at an image of myself, but it looks like I'm talking to another person. And I grew up, besides being curious, I talk to myself a lot. I map out conversations in my head. I pretend. So that comes very natural for me to just fake like I'm talking to someone. So that was helpful. But also the opportunity now from going to flipping over from careers to marketing, that idea of the behind the scenes thing, I think is an opportunity for life science companies or any company really, but we're all about life science here to get people's attention for your brand by showing them what goes on. I realize a lot of what life science companies do, they don't want to tell anybody or what they're working on, but I think they're there are ways or their customers some people have been very successful making videos about customers and their research but just going a level beyond their research what's their day like what's their life like i think would be interesting to a lot of people i think people are fascinated by that aren't they that's why people watch reality tv because they're fascinated by how other people live their lives and what they do and obviously that's in the realm of celebrity but if you think about science i think as much as we do to open up science to the general public science is still this sort of cloudy box where we don't really know what people do so if you open that up people are going to be fascinated because they have sort of an idea a cloudy idea in their mind because they don't quite know how it works so you will get people who are interested, especially like the general public, they will be interested in just the daily or, or like what goes on. And sometimes it is obviously every everything is has its mundane moments. And I remember a comment on my vlog where it's, oh, you just, you were writing and then two seconds later it's lunch. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, sometimes you just have those periods where it's not that exciting. You don't want to see me writing for a few hours, I'm sure. So I just had to right. speed it up. There was a comment on your day in the life thing where you went into the lab, you made tea, and in the morning you're working at your desk. So I'm sure there's not a lot to see. And then they say, and then right after that, you went to lunch. That's it. <laughs> <You're> going, <laughs> I want to be a scientist. <laughs> I was like, do you want to see me fill out my expenses? Because I, I didn't think you did. That's why I didn't put it in. And that going back then to that behind the scenes thing and the opportunity is of course this podcast is about giving people ideas for marketing is the possibility to enhance your brand by showing not just scientists and other potential customers but the world the build trust with the, about the people who are doing science, which is a huge challenge right now, right? It's all behind the scenes. Oh, I'm going to throw it out there. Was the vaccine tested? Blah, blah, blah. Those kinds of hesitations. And those people are that do that work are different from us and so on. And so it's an opportunity, I think, for a brand to say, these people are just like you and me. They have families. They have kids. They go to games and these are the people that are making the vaccines that are trying to make your life better or whatever they're doing, right? Absolutely. And I think for companies with a patient-centric focus or people in that area, so making vaccines, making therapies, you know, some people might think, oh, why would we want to spend time and effort engaging with a general public or a wider audience? But those are eventually, if they're not directly your customers, they will be at some point. So the more time you spend actually trying to talk to them, you will see 
down the line because you will be in their consciousness you will be at top of mind when they're when you're down the line and they will say I know these people because of I saw them working in the lab and explaining to me what they were doing when they were making this vaccine. So now I trust them. So then even if you're not directly selling to them, oh, I think I've, my camera's gone a bit strange. There we go. Even if you're not, <laughs> even if you're not directly selling to them, you, you will see the benefits of that investment down the line when you have that trust because trust is really hard to build and you can't just build it overnight. You need to put in the time and effort to build the trust and then build the awareness and then see the benefits. So it takes time, but I would say it's worth the investment. Yeah, and that content has so many uses. There's the direct marketing use, there's the public outreach use, there's PR, there's investor relations and so on, just to show people what your mission is and, and who's carrying it out. So I think mm. you can get a lot of mileage out of stories like that. Absolutely. Um, and I think if you're able to distill a, a complex scientific concept down to something which a non-expert is able to understand, that's great because you can do that for the non-expert, but you have that skill to be able to do that to your other stakeholders who might not be as um, involved in the science as you are. So it's gonna it's gonna build your skills up to be able to disseminate that information to a range of stakeholders, not just a general public, but investors, but your clients. Right. So let's shift gears and talk about your podcast, Pros and Comms. So you are primarily a science communication agency is that a good way to put it yeah and we didn't really talk about what your business is might be content creation but you have a stable of freelancers who creates all kinds of content for life science companies and but you have a podcast where you interview people about communications and they're not all scientists so talk a little bit about that approach yeah so again i think it was there's a definite theme of where I get my ideas from and then I just run with them. But whilst I was looking at making my business and looking back at my career and thinking, oh, I'm really interested in communication. I want to help life science companies communicate their ideas, their messages, build up their brands through this business and also work with freelancers too, because I'd been freelancing as well. So I wanted to improve the experience that they had. And then I was just thinking on like a higher level of sort of communication, like looking back on it, and in my experience through um, my various jobs in life science, I was like, we have a very fixed way of communication. Or I've experienced a very traditional way of communication from working in sort of academia and industry. It was all we talk to clients or collaborators over email. As a company, we might have a LinkedIn and a Twitter account on our social media and we have a website. And that's almost the extent of our you know online presence. And then I looked at, you know, other areas, maybe like more consumer focused areas. And I was like, they have Instagram, they have TikTok, they're writing blogs, they're doing podcasts. They have all these different things. They're making music to put across a message. They're writing poems. They're taking amazing photos or doing amazing paintings. And all of this is communication. So when I was looking back at it, I was like, what can we as an industry learn from all of these other methods which we just don't even think about which we don't you know employ because there are you know 
at, at the end of the day, communication is just getting a message from A to B. And the way you get that is more suited to different sectors. But there are lessons in that, I believe. And so that's where the idea for the podcast came from, was that I wanted to see how different people in completely different careers to science put their message across, whether we could take even a, a broader message or a, like an actual tip into the industry and just shake up the way we communicate. Nice. And how do you think that sort of approach is, has set you apart? I guess I'm, I'm just kind of curious. I could ask you how you feel like the podcast is going, what it's done for you so far, things you've learned. I'll be honest with you. Every person and their grandma has a podcast these days. It's difficult to set yourself <laughs> apart amongst a sea of everyone, you know, jump. And it's great because I'm a great believer in like how powerful audio content can be. There are a lot of podcasts out there. So what I think my podcast does and what I hope it does, it gives you the choice. You know what you're getting by hopefully the name and, you know, you know you're coming in for communication tips. So if you just want communication tips, you can go to the end-ish area of the podcast and listen to what that person has to say. You can go to the Malby website because the podcasts have a page there which have the communication tips on there um, and some of the things we talk about in the podcast. So you can go there. If you're just interested in that, then that's there for you. But what I hope it does is I hope people are interested in the stories because as I say in the podcast, communication is essentially storytelling. And I think it's really fun to listen to people's stories because they can show you how they've learned this, not just what they've learned. And that can really influence, you know, how you take that message across to, to your life. So I think that's probably what sets us apart is that there's bits of things for it, for everyone. And if you just want a quick tip, you can, but if you're, if you want to just get to know a story and really have the message resonate with you, I think then you have the option to listen to the whole thing and there's things which you know I always when I do the podcast I try and research as much as I can about my guest and really try and tailor the questions to them but there's all we're always going to go off on tangents because that's the whole point of the conversation is, is <laughs> yep. going off on tangents so it's you're never gonna like I could put out the questions that I ask and then we might only get through half of them because we're talking about how good Line of Duty was or how much we love Harry Potter. So yeah, that's what we do on the podcast. And yeah, I just hope it's like a little bit of time where people can come in and listen to um, someone in a completely different area to what they're in and find out what that area is like. And again, breaking down those barriers of what does uh, a, a top lawyer do? Like, how do they act in their like normal lives how do they de-stress or like what do, what did a special advisor to uh, the prime minister what was his job like and what did he learn from being in that really high powered and high highly stressful situation so that's what i hope we achieve yeah one of the things you do really well i think it's really nice on your podcast page is you have some images along with those tips or the takeaway lessons so people don't have to. I've taken the opposite approach. I tease the episode. I make people go listen. I tell them what they're going to get, but I may not tell them the answer. You give the takeaways, which is great. But then, as you say, it's about the story in the conversation. And that's what really gets people to listen is that they're going to hear a story told from someone else's perspective that might 
trigger something else or inspire them, make them think about something where they just go, oh, well, now I know what that, how a lawyer does X, Y, Z and how they think about it. It just expands your view and maybe inspire something for you to take away. So I think that's really cool. I'm going to go off on a tangent. I think we talked about this a little bit once before and I looked, but what about LinkedIn stories? I made a big deal about it when they showed up <laughs> last year because I thought, oh, Instagram stories are pretty cool. I was look, looking at those and how can we use them on LinkedIn? But I tried them. Um, it was hard to sustain. I don't, no one else's stories are popping up on my feed anymore. Are you, have you tried them? Are you still I've doing not, them? Yeah, I've not actually tried them. I thought it was intriguing. I'll be honest, uh, even with Instagram stories, like I think the first story I ever did was about me making cinnamon buns like a year ago or something like that. So I wasn't like particularly hot on the Instagram stories and I saw how they could be used, but I just, yeah, I never got around to, to doing it on LinkedIn. And yeah, I guess it's this balance between that they would be great for behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. You could show snippets like every few days of this is what we're doing. And I think if you've built the audience on LinkedIn for that, I think it, it would be super powerful. I think a lot of people, and LinkedIn is obviously getting better and there's loads of people who are use, like maximizing it, like decking out their profile, putting posts up and there's now it's hard to beat the LinkedIn algorithm. But I think a lot of people might still see it as just like a jobs profile site and they might not use it. So I think, the audience might not fully be there for it to have the maximum effect whereas instagram it's very it's very intertwined with what instagram actually is whereas with linkedin it's a useful add-on but i don't know if it's got the audience to actually fully appreciate it yet yeah i suspect it might end up going away i don't know i have mixed feelings about it i'm re-inspired right now to try it again on, LinkedIn, on Instagram, which I have essentially abandoned, and <laughs> Facebook as well, LinkedIn's about the only social media platform I'm on now. But I appreciated the ones that where people made videos and they there was some editing involved and real storytelling as opposed to just a picture and some text. But the one thing I didn't like about LinkedIn stories was just the text parts that you could put on top of your pictures or videos or whatever were just clunky. They didn't seem engaging. And the way to tag people just wasn't, just didn't float my boat. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so. I think it's tricky because like when you have such an established platform as Instagram having that capability, if you try and replicate it on another platform, you really need to be able to match what it is on other platforms because people are going to be used. If you do something very similar like that, they're going to want to come over to your platform and be able to do, obviously they're not going to, it's not going to be TikTok. They're not going to be like dancing with music behind them, but you need like a basic level of capability where you can create because that's essentially what it is. It's creating a, a small right. snippet of something which people are going to view and then it's going to disappear. So I think right. if you don't have that functionality, that may be a hindrance into it taking off. Yeah. Well, Mario, good night. It's been a treat talking to you again. Thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad I actually got to meet you and talk to you on my podcast as well. And you were excellent on that. So, oh, thank, thank you. you so me. I will, of course, I'll put a link to Mabi Content Creation 
in the show notes for this episode. So if that little edit sounds funny, for some reason my recording software cut out at the end of my conversation with Maria. But um, look in the show notes for the link to her website. And um, as always, I appreciate you listening. I would really appreciate it if you would share this podcast with a couple of other folks who would also enjoy the content. If, you, if you're the person who enjoys it, I'm pretty sure you're working with some other folks who might enjoy it as well. And I will be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Bye-bye.